at pressure testing hard on what's the vacancy rate the property can sustain at the current projections. If you can do 20, 30, 40, 50% vacancy rate, we're going to be able to float the property. So we're trying to pressure test that criteria harder and harder with reality behind it. You're listening to The Life & Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hello, everyone. I'm Annie Dickerson here with the fabulous Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm doing real good. Lots of interesting conversations that we're having internally with the team. There's a lot of stuff going on right now in the investment world. And it's an interesting time to be a part of this conversation. I remember when we first got into this pretty seriously, six, five, six years ago, the one question that I would always get from people is like, well, have you ever been through a recession or a downturn from the active side? And the answer was always obviously no. And so it's an interesting time because I think we're headed for some kind of a downturn here coming up soon. And it'll be interesting to see kind of what shakes out out of all of that and how everyone's approaching deals, which we got to talk a lot about that today on the show. And so, yeah, just interesting time. Interesting time. Indeed. And I know when we first partnered up and launched Good Egg, this is like 2017, 2018, when recession or downturn was theoretical at that point. We had been flying strong for many years. And there was really at that time not really an end in sight, even though we knew, you know, things are cyclical and sooner or later it's going to come back around. But at the time, everything was great. But we were always thinking ahead and we were like, okay, we know that this is inevitability at some point point, things can't keep going forever. And we were always preparing for what would happen one day, if and when. And as we saw the writing on the wall within the last several months, we've been preparing our team internally, working with our partners, our lenders, and everybody else to really get prepared for what's ahead. And as potentially scary as it could be, I think there's a lot to look forward to because with any part in the market cycle, there's always opportunities to be had if you know how to look and where to look. And so I'm excited for what's ahead. Yeah, it's an interesting time. And it's always fun to be able to pick other folks who are in the industry, pick their brain, as I feel like we've been doing on the last couple of shows that we've had. It's like, what is your crystal ball? And where do you think things are headed? Which is what we got to do today. Yeah. Exactly. Well, speaking of which, our guest on the show today is Socket Jane. He's a good friend of ours and he's the founder and CEO of Impact Wealth Builders. And Socket talked about how he grew up in India. Actually, he had seen his dad had run a business. And so he had sort of seen what it was like to be an entrepreneur. And at a young age, he was like, nope, that's not for me. I don't want to do that. But of course, life has its own ways of getting that message to you. And through his experiences, he realized that actually it was the freedom of choice and the freedom of control that he was really after, especially as he talks about on the show when he was laid off a few years ago, completely by surprise. And I had to shift his whole life drop of a dime. Is that how the saying goes? Drop of a dime? 
There we go. Either one. At a moment's drop of a hat. Darn it. I always get, anyway, the moment's (laughs) notice he had to shift his entire life. And that's often what we talk about, right? Is you think you're going along just fine with your job and your job security, but it could all change at a moment's notice, especially as we're talking about a potential downturn and recession here. And so Socket talks about what he did when that moment happened to him. Yeah, it's interesting how things in life, as you and I always talk about, are always, and this is a Tony Robbins thing, that life is always happening for us and not to us. And I think there's a lot in Socket's story that, you know, really makes that true. So many things that had happened for him, I believe, that led him to somewhere along his path going to a monastery and cashing it all in and being like, all right, we're going to go live this life for two to three years. They didn't just do it for like a month or two, like they committed. And it's interesting how I saw that experience that he said was so impactful for him kind of weaves its way through his life now and as a passive investor and as an active investor. And it really impacts his day-to-day decisions as well as his overall big global decisions. Like, why are we here? What does this all mean? What's the purpose? Which is so in line with everything that you and I always talk about. It's not just about the money. And I think that it's interesting just to hear kind of his perspectives throughout the show. And I can't help but thinking that a lot of his perspectives were shaped by that experience of his time at the monastery. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he mentions a, a couple of times in the show how life, as you just mentioned, life isn't about just money and wealth and material things. It is about this greater impact and this progress and contribution that we're able to have. And that's so much in line with what we always talk about. And so for all of our listeners, the reason that we're so passionate about real estate is not about the buildings and the cash flow is a part of it, but it's what that cash flow and that equity and the tax benefits can get you in life. It's about creating that life by design. It's about having that impact and doing what you were put on this earth to do. And so if you're at the point where you're just starting out in your journey, you're trying to get to know this whole world of real estate syndications and whether it's the right path for you, we've got a great resource. It's a great consolidated place, a quick read. It's our book. It's called Investing for Good. And you can read it in one quick plane ride and you'd have everything you need to know to get started investing passively in real estate syndications. For your free copy, just go to goodegginvestments.com slash book. All right. With that, let's dive into our conversation with Socket Jane. Socket, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm glad to be here, Annie and Julie. This is the only place where I would be at this time of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're thrilled to have you here. Honored that you're spending time with us and our listeners today. Now, Socket, I know our listeners are going to be super inspired by your story because not only are you a successful real estate investor and syndicator, but you also have experience launching and leading multiple ventures in the tech and finance space. And you're also, on top of all of that, you're currently the business operations lead at Airbnb, which I know in and of itself keeps you very busy. But before we get into all of that and how you're able to do it all, start by taking us back earlier in your story. I know you studied engineering when you were in India and then you got your MBA at Columbia. Did you always know that you wanted to be in business or what led to that transition from engineering to business school? Yeah, definitely. So I grew up in a business family. We didn't have much growing up, but 
while I was almost about to college, we had a very successful business back home in India that my dad and his brothers ran. So I remember distinctly, and when I was in grade 10, so, you know, I grew up in India, so we don't talk about junior, senior, we only talk in grades. So I'll talk in grades because that, that's all I know. In India, in 10th grade, you have to decide, are you going to be an engineer? Are you going to be a doctor? Or are you going to be in arts or commerce? There's little four streams mm-hmm. you get. That's all that you get. Time. That's all you get. <laughs> that's right. And you make a decision and that is your decision for the rest of your life. You never can change mm. it, right? So that's the environment I grew up in. I think now it's changing a little bit. So when I grew up, I'm like, I like breaking things. I had no idea. I knew two things. I like breaking things and putting them together. And I hated the sight of blood. And mm. I did not want to be an accountant because my dad was one or he was good at that. So I saw all of this and English was not my language. So I'm like, art's not me. So by the process of elimination and some selection, I'm like, you know, I'm going to do engineering. So I remember distinctly after I got into IIT, my dad, once I graduated from that, my dad just asked me, why do you want to work for somebody else? I'm like, what do you mean? They like, just come run the business. I'm like, no, I don't like this business. I want to do something bigger in my life. I want to create everything what on my own. What did you think about business at that time? You know, having grown up, when I was growing up, I didn't know any entrepreneurs. I didn't yeah. know anybody running a business. At the time, were you like, wow, business is kind of cool? Or were you like, eh, I don't want to I love business. business. I love business because we were solving, my dad was solving some problems, right? The mm-hmm. only thing I did not like it is, uh, the way at least they were running it, it seemed very hard. Because mm, it seemed like they yeah. leave at like nine in the morning and he doesn't come yeah. until like 11. And even then he'd have to go to events and networking after that. So we just never saw him. So I'm like, mm. I don't want that life. So I think I just had a limited mindset on what a business is and what lifestyle does it avail. I'm in very limited exposure, right? Kind of like with my 22-year-old mind, whatever I could think is what I was making up to be. So I'm like, no, I'm going to do my own. I don't want to be handed over a business. I want to create something of my own. So anyways, I chose to come to US, got my MBA along the way, and I've since worked in all successful companies, like one of the best management consulting firm. We were part of the private equity consulting. We were buying deals. We were fixing the companies and we were selling them off. Life was fun. And then, of course, back in 2013 or 2015, my wife told me United Airlines 1A, which ironically, that I always picked that seat. I always got that seat. I was a consultant. I was traveling so much. I had enough points. And I kind of knew the crew, which is sad. That can't be our home socket. You got to move out. So because we were thinking of starting a family. So like, you know, that's fine. So I picked a corporate job. So in that job, everything was going fine. I was leading the innovation practice. We were looking at acquiring companies and investing in the companies. I got laid off or the entire team got cut off. Mm. And that completely changed my perspective in life, how I think about money, how I think about security, how I think about jobs, how I think about businesses, right? where first three, four, five months, like would happen to everyone, denial and shame and disgust mm-hmm. and frustration. Like we had to move into my in-law's house. We had to change states. We had to take our kids out of the private school. The life, which was very perfect, completely altered the way I knew. Did you have any sense that that might happen or was the layoff a complete surprise? It's usually a complete surprise and it's kind of sad. It's karma, right? Because as a consultant, I was always advising companies and we would call it workforce optimization, mm-hmm. which is a fancy word for uh-huh. laying people off, right? We felt good about that. Like, you know what? This person is not yeah. needed. Everything is numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Until it happens to you, you don't realize what yeah. the impact on the other side is, right? At mm-hmm. least at that moment. So I never realized that it will ever happen to me. I'm this successful guy, has all the pedigrees that you can imagine people die for. This, this can never happen to me. I was wrong because 
it was not because of performance, it was because of a merger. Because when the merger happened, the team started to become redundant. And due to political reasons, our entire team got cut off, which happens, right? I mean, it, it is what it is. Because it's, it's um, workforce optimization. That's exactly right. I, yeah. I'm glad I didn't come up with that terminology. There we but go. I've, <laughs> I've definitely made a lot of money using that terminology. So, <laughs> kind of right. It comes around. There you go. What there goes around go. comes around, right? <laughs> Anyways, at that time, I was kind of thinking about why am I so sad about it? Like, like, what exactly is triggering me? And we'll go to a one more backstory and then we'll come back here. In 2008, me and my wife, we were trying to figure out, I think we were asking our questions, what's our bigger purpose? Why are we doing what we're doing? Like, where does this all lead to? Because we all knew, you know what, our basic necessities are going to be fulfilled with all the skills we have. We'll always be able to survive and provide. That was never a problem. Like, you know what, then the question became is, what is the bigger purpose of life? We couldn't figure it out. So what we did was the most radical shift we could we sold everything we had in the US, except a few rental properties we had. We sold everything and we moved into a monastery setting in India it's called an ashram in India. And we lived with monks for two, three years. We're like, you know what? We're just going to completely. A lot of people at our stage in life do not ask that question. Since that question has arised, we got to pay attention to that question because it could take us somewhere. Let's just travel. Let's just figure out. Let's just pull that thread. Let's see where it goes. The best time of our life. Best time. So, and we can talk it. about that. What was that? Was this before kids suck it? it was before, just that's the only reason we could do it. We like, knew at once. Wonderful. <laughs> it is wonderful, <laughs> right? You're now? like, I'm like, now it would sound wonderful. I don't know what we'll do with the kids. We yeah. have a seven and a nine year old. I'm talking to them. And I'm like, we'll just send you to the boarding school and we're going to go back to the ocean. They're like, no, we don't want to go to boarding school. They suck. What would I do? Anyway, so for a variety of reasons, and we'll get into that story a little bit deeper, depending on which, uh, which direction the conversation takes, we decided to come back. And then we kind of got lost in making money at that point again, right? So we started with that question, we lost, we kind of got lost. And in 2018, when this incident happened with me with laying off, I reflected back on that incident in 2008 because we had lost everything at that point, right? And with the same incident now, we have no job. The only difference between the two incidents, I had control and I didn't have control. 2008 was my decision, my wife's decision. In 2018, we were forced to accept somebody else's decision. So once I realized that was really not upset about losing the job. It's not an ego hit because of the job, it's ego hit because I was not consulted before this incident happened and I had no way to control shape or form. So that's when the trajectory happened. You know, this only way to take control is to have multiple income streams that you have influence on. And job, although, which I know you guys know that already and your listeners already, jobs, not security. Job is only one thing, which is a steady paycheck until it ends. The moment it ends, that steadiness goes away, that security goes away. So then we start looking at other sources of income, which essentially becoming, let's find another job. But that's when I really started looking at, we need to start building a real estate portfolio, shifted the mentality from appreciating real estate versus cash flowing real estate. Essentially looking at net worth differently, your retirement perspective is instead of what's my net worth versus how many number of days my passive income can sustain me, the whole perspective started to change. And once I started looking, I'm like, this is actually a business. I never thought real estate could make me an entrepreneur. I was wrong because I was thinking with a very limited mindset. I'm like, this is what my dad was trying to tell me. Take control of your destiny by working for yourself because all I've done so far is making somebody else wealthy, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong in W-2. I think you can still have a path forward by complementing your W-2 with other multiple income streams. 
you don't have to quit everything. You can still pursue both. So I'll stop here because I can talk for the next 50 minutes. So I'll pause. I'll see where you want to take this conversation. Yes. So tell us a little bit about the investing side of things. So I love that you're bringing all of this up because it's so much in line with what Annie and I have discovered, I think, for ourselves through our investing journey. And then now subsequently, almost for the last almost five years together, have realized a lot of these same topics that you're talking about. Mm. Tell the listener... So it sounds like you had some rental properties. Tell us about that journey. But then I want to spend some time also talking about where you're at now and what kind of real estate investments you're doing now. But yeah, definitely. Start at the beginning. Yeah. You know, growing up in India, and I think it's probably true for a lot of Asian cultures, we always believed in real assets. I grew up with making sure you buy gold, making sure you buy silver, you buy assets that you can touch, and stock market is this big no-no, right? That's how I grew up. Of course, I lost my way along the way here when I came, but I came in this country 2003, we started buying properties, me and my wife. We got married in 2003. That was our first property that we started buying, but we bought it for a very different reason. We bought it as a speculation. I mean, the difference between investor and speculation is speculation is all about appreciation. Investment is about cash flow and appreciation. Both are appreciating in some, some nature, but one is only bought for appreciation which ends up being a betting game. And I don't like betting. I mean, I hate gambling. I don't think I, I can ever survive in Vegas. To, you don't go to Vegas? and <laughs> I do go to Vegas, but I'm sitting like an old lady sitting at the slot machines. While my friends are having fun at the blackjack. Table. I love doing slot machines. I love that sound. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We've been buying it, but till 2008, 18, everything we had was essentially negative cash flow. We had to put money from our pocket into them. I had read the purple book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, several times. But I never experientially understood what he was trying to say until something drastic happened. You know, as Tony Robbins, I know we're all big fans of Tony Robbins. He always says there's the patterns have to be interrupted. I had to have something so crazy happen in my life that my pattern had to be interrupted. I was painful at that time, very painful, but I'm so glad that my pattern got interrupted because that's when we started shifting to, we need to start buying assets that are cash flowing. Forget about appreciation when we're buying it at that. Now, that's an extreme as well, because we started looking into markets which are more linear markets, mm -hmm. where the cash flow is more consistent, like Indiana, Kansas City. We started buying properties there, and we built a good portfolio there. But then we quickly realized that if the cash flow from our investments in real estate has to exceed our expenses, it's going to take me thousands of properties. It's going to take a long time. And, Hang on uh, one second, Socket. I want to back up a little cool. bit. What was the big thing that happened? You were going to leave everybody so suspense. <laughs> like, oh, in 2018, I got laid off. That's what happened. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. I didn't know if you right, were right, referring right. to like something that happened at a property, a rental property, some story. So I don't want to. I wasn't that lucky. I wish yeah. that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a better story. So it was because you were negative cash flow on the properties, meaning you had to pay out, then you lost your job. And so then having basically a, these liabilities in a sense of right. having to pay out is what caused you to be the... So, you know, the only, so we had a good net worth, right? In stock market and real estate and gold, silver. So we could have easily liquidated some stuff that we didn't have to worry Mm -hmm. But the whole concept, the, I think that the mental switch was, which is actually important that you brought up. Uh, so thanks for, thanks for that. The whole concept of what retirement looks like changed for me, mm -hmm. right? Because again, I knew that at 65, I'll have to start liquidating some assets, but I didn't realize that's what it feels when you start selling something that you bought for a specific reason 
and the market may not be in your favor. I didn't like that. I didn't like me to forcefully sell anything. I like control. I like control <laughs> on my future <laughs> and, my, and what's happening in day to day. To a certain extent, I'm not a control freak, but I like to influence things. And if I need to sell my assets, that's not happening on my own terms. I'm being forced to sell it. And because I needed liquid cash right away, I would have to sell it at a discount. So what I started looking at is everything that I thought was an asset is essentially a liability because everything is nice. We not only now we need cash to sustain our day-to-day life, we also have to support the negative cash flow on the other properties. We're basically bleeding financially until we start doing something different. So what we did was once that shift happened, we essentially sold some of our assets and I was comfortable doing that. We sold our negative cash flow assets, which thankfully had appreciated quite well. And we 1031 into some of the other properties, which were positive cash flow. So it fixed that issue that at least that positive negative cash flow became positive. It wasn't much. Most of the rental properties don't, $200, $400 per month, because most of them are leveraged. So we were able to do that. And that helped give the perspective that this is what the cash flow looks like, positive cash flow. But it still wasn't scalable, right? Because you need the loans for every single property. You have to open up everything that you have or you have ever owned. So that process was very painful. I'm like, this is not a scalable model. So I started looking for, I need to go bigger, faster, more efficiently. What's the next stage? Given my background as a consultant, right? This is what I was doing for everyone else. I'm like, why am I not doing it for me? Why am I not asking the same question? How can I do it bigger, better, faster without bleeding my own time? That's when I was talking to somebody and they said, why don't you try multifamily? I'm like, tell me more. I thought only rich people can buy multifamily. I don't have the money. Like you don't, right? So we started talking in the world of syndication open for me. So I started networking with syndicators, trying to understand what that really means. And I really quickly realized it's essentially nothing but a private equity transaction. It's exactly the same model, right? So that model, I'm like, I know how to do this because I've done it for business. I just a different asset. I just need to now learn how to run that asset instead of a business, but it's essentially taking down a business, rental property, multifamily, which is not working to its optimal capacity. So we do turnaround for the business, turnaround for the rental property. And once we have some NOI improvement, we essentially sell it. That's the exact same model the rental properties had, which I was very familiar with and very good at in my consulting days. I'm like, you know what? This sounds familiar. Let's try it. But again, I didn't want to risk with somebody else's money. So I put a lot of my own money into the multifamily investments. I was probably the most active passive investor a syndicator could find because I was fully involved, right? Without getting paid. Those are the best kind. Those are the best kinds. Those are, right? I've realized those are the best <laughs> kinds because they ask the least amount of questions because they'll just do it for you. <laughs> I think you guys are the same way. You want your investors to be educated. Mm-hmm. You don't yeah. want dumb investors because eventually you want to make sure that they understand what they're doing because that's the better investor in the long run they become more educated right so that was my goal so i got good to a point where i'm like you know what now i'm ready to start my active while i still invest in other syndications so now i'm an active syndicator where we basically buy b and c and a class property a class is very new to me i'm running my first syndication right now with a class but so far we've done b and c predominantly Tell us about that transition. How many deals did you invest in passively? Just for anyone out there who might be listening, that's like... Yeah, yeah I went from zero multifamily to about 1,300 multifamily units in about six months as an LP, as a limited okay. partner. Right. Got it. So okay. That was the probably the fastest transition I've ever made in my life in any asset class Yeah. because I love the asset class, right? I understood how to read statements, 
fairly good at understanding what financial terms we're talking about. So my transition was less painful as compared to somebody who doesn't necessarily understand what an IRR is or NOI is or a cash flow is, because that's a lot of terminology understanding somebody may have to cross that chasm a little bit further. For yeah. me, that transition was slow. For me, the whole thing was about deal flow and understanding which syndicator is the syndicator that I, how to evaluate a syndicator, mm-hmm. not how to evaluate a deal. I could evaluate a deal in my, with my eyes closed. But my challenge always was, do I invest with Annie? Do I invest with Julie? Do I invest with Socket? Do I invest with, who do I invest with? Because everyone's performance looks great, which it's supposed to. That's by design. That's not to fool anybody, but that's by design because every syndicator believes their deal is the best deal. They're not lying. So how do I parse it out? What works for me? So what I did, and maybe it'll help your listeners, is I actually developed my own personal investment philosophy outside of any syndicate. Like, you know what? This is where I need to go in the next four or five years. I want this criteria, this criteria, this criteria, this criteria. These are the markets to the point where this has to be the average household income, median household income. If it's not there, I'm not going to even look at the deals, right? We'll get back to our conversation with Socket in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now back to our chat with Socket Jane. Can you what tell us, Socket, what are those parameters? I'd love for everyone yeah. to idea of like, what's your philosophy on doing deals right now in this crazy, uncertain market with interest rates going crazy? What's your perspective on deals to do and deals to stay away from? Definitely. So if you talk about today's world, right? Today's world, and this is Sakit's perspective. This is my own thesis. So no thesis is perfect. I want to put a disclaimer so you can always pick a hole in any thesis. So it's not like my thesis, but it is my thesis. I believe in that. So my belief is always, what are we trying to do? What is the goal for us to do? For me, the biggest important thing right now, given the uncertainty in the capital markets and what's going to happen with inflation and everything else, the biggest risk that I see is 
will my syndicator be able to avoid foreclosure? That's the biggest risk I see. Will the bank take over it because the debt is not going to be able to service? That's the biggest risk because what we're doing, and let me qualify the risk. Why is that the biggest risk? Is because the other risk is my performa may not be met, right? When you compare the two, the bank foreclosure is a much bigger risk that we need to avoid. If you were told in the performa, you're going to make 10% cash on cash and you made 9%, yes, it hurts, but it doesn't hurt as much as if the property was foreclosed, right? In the relative scale, the bigger risk that I'm trying to figure out is how can I make sure the properties that I'm buying into and investing into are not going to get foreclosed. So my personal thesis is, and that's what I'm following for my investment, my active and passive investments, we're looking more and more at pressure testing hard on what's the vacancy rate the property can sustain at the current projections, right? We all know if you can do 20, 30, 40, 50% vacancy rate, we're going to be able to float the property. So we're trying to pressure test that criteria harder and harder with the reality behind it. A lot of syndicators have done rental projections of, oh, the market's going to continue going like in Phoenix, 21, 27, 28%. And I've seen deals where syndicators are using that as their modeling. So that's scary because while it lasts, it's great. But when it doesn't work and there's going to be a time when it doesn't work, right? Oh yeah. Very few people are that lucky that they're going to carry that through and then sell it. Very few. Yeah. Chances are always is not. So we look at three to four, in some cases, even two. What's the minimum number of rental growth we can imagine? We can expect from a rental property to give us that vacancy rate. So we're trying to balance those two parameters and bring realism into that. That's one. Mm -hmm. The second is, what's my biggest expense? Because what can happen in foreclosure is your rents are not getting paid or your expenses are going pretty high, right? There's only two variables. That's the beauty of our real estate. There's only income and expenses. Two things if you need to know, right? So either the income will get impacted or the expenses will increase. And the biggest expense in a rental property, and I know you guys know that, is debt. And debt has, we don't have any foresight into the debt, what's happening. So we're going more and more towards now fixed debt, but not just fixed debt because we want to check the box for a fixed debt. We want to make sure that it actually makes sense. And we were initially talking about three to five year holds. Now we're going more towards five to seven year holds. Mm -hmm. Because you know what, for all intensive reasons, we're already in recession. Right. The numbers are modified from, from my perspective. So if you look at, let's just assume the recession has not come in yet, but it's coming. If it's not already in it, it's coming pretty quick. We don't know how long it's going to last. So we need to make sure that we can hold on. The biggest thing we're always trying to avoid is, can we hold on to this asset for a little longer than what we were holding two to three years ago? And a little longer for us is five to seven. Now the market may change in the next six months and everything is hunky-dory, which is great. That essentially means we can ride that wave too. I would rather have her on the side that it's not going to be great because what I'd want to make sure is that I can protect my downside by buying myself more time and buying myself that cushion in the rental growth, sort of the income and expenses, which also means is we're going low on the LTVs, the leverage. We're putting lower leverage. Before we were buying 75, 80% leverages. Now we're looking at 60, 55 in some deals. We're trying to get low and low so that the cushion between the income and expenses is higher. And if you don't use it, it's a cash flow. It's a yeah. cash distribution. If you need it, we have it. So I think that's really my philosophy right now. We're moving more towards class A as where the market is right now, because you know class B and C will have the challenge of CapEx. And with the market where it is, we're still supply constraints up in the supply chain, supply chain area. So we may have issues renovating. We may. So not saying it's bad, B or C, it's just that when you look at the relative risk basis, I have to make sure that I'm doing justice. If I'm comparing A and a B on a risk-adjusted basis, 
it has to make sense for me and my investors. That's really my investment philosophy right now. And the markets, of course, the broader macro philosophy hasn't really changed. Business-friendly cities and states, making sure that there's a population migration today, in the past, and in the future. Like I would never invest in Detroit, Michigan, no matter how good the investment may look. Partly because I just saw a nine cap in Detroit for like a 24 unit. I was like, oh, this is interesting. See, that may change. So I may say I should never say never. Unless the deal comes and it makes sense, we will never look at Detroit as an active market for us. So we're going to stay in the Southern Belt. That's really where our focus is. And so far it has worked out for us. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Saki. I could sit here with you and chat all day. I know, me too. Because it's so interesting. It's a very interesting time that we're in. Lots of questions. And I think investors who are smart to understand, surround themselves with the right folks who are having these kinds of conversations, understanding what the exposure to risk is, and understanding how we're mitigating that risk is more important now than ever. And so... Love having these conversations. Hopefully the listeners can take away something from our conversation today around all of this stuff that's going on, the markets that you're focused on, the business plan that you're focused on, why A class, not A, B and C class. I'm with you. I've heard a lot of groups that are in C class deals. We've traditionally stayed away from Mm -hmm. seats, but I've heard a lot of folks that are in some C class deals right now. It's painful for them. So, and we're just, in my opinion, at the beginning of all of this. And so I think so. I'll take it. So All right. Well, we're going to move into the last part of our show, the Life and Money Show Spotlight Round, where we're going to ask you a couple of questions around Mm -hmm. life and money. So first question is around your life and money. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? Yes, that's an interesting question. It's a very personal question. So I'll give you a personal story behind it. You know, it's more about life's more than money that I firmly believe in lives. If people disagree with us, let's talk about all these celebrities with tons of money. They've been drug addiction, you know, suicides, everything else. So money doesn't give happiness, right? So that's by definition clear to all of us. Right? So then what is life about? Right? I think that's a key question that we all have to ask ourselves. So for us, the question is progress and growth. Right? If we're moving our life in the direction that we want to move towards, um, that's really what we're looking at. Our life by design is if we're not stagnant, we're progressing. And as long as we're progressing, we may or may not hit our goals, but we're happy because progress equals happiness. That's really how both me and my wife live our life, kind of like making sure that we're not living somebody else's life, we're living our own life. I can only imagine how the time that you guys spent at the monastery years ago impacts your philosophy on life and doing business and opportunities and asking these deeper questions to really get you to a place of happiness or and sustained happiness too. I agree, Julie. I think that was the most illogical decision we ever made in our life. Yeah. I mean, as a consultant, I have to be very logical because the clients can talk to me. <laughs> if I start talking about give up in the whole life and then move to the monastery. That's not going to work, right? So it was the most illogical, but one of the best decisions because those were the times where one of the things until that time, I loved having my choices until 2008. It was a perfect time because the GFC was happening, time to take a a break. It was perfect timing for us. So we were not forced to move, but we chose to move. When we moved into the monastery or the ashram, our choices were taken away from us. We were told what time we'll get up. We were told what practices we'll do. We were told what meditations we'll do. We were told what food we're going to eat. We were told what clothes we're going to wear, what our daily schedule is going to look like. Everything was laid out for us. We just have to wake up and follow the path, right? Wish to a free mind world, free world case, like free choice world, like, you know what? That's a prison. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, it's actually very freeing 
Because when you don't have to make choices and you believe that somebody else's choices are better, I mean, that's why we moved there because their path was a different path for us and we believed in that path. It's just liberated us. Our mental capacity was so high because we were seeing things and patterns and insights that we never thought about it before because we as a society are comatized with choices. Mm-hmm. Every single second we're making decisions because we have so many choices, right? So if you actually take away those, as counterintuitive as it may sound, sometimes it's actually very liberating and you go on the other side walking out as a freer person than before. Oh yeah. It's funny that we're talking about this because <clears throat> every night before I go to bed, I think about what I'm going to wear in the morning so that I lay it out. There you go. But the time, like last night, I was like, couldn't decide. So this is what I ended up picking was like a white shirt, very plain because I couldn't. Perfect. Right. But it reminds me of Mark Zuckerberg and others like him. who Steve Jobs. Yeah. Their shtick is like they wear the same thing every day. Their uniform is like jeans and a t-shirt so that they can save their capacity for thinking for more important things. And so interesting that you brought that up because I was literally just thinking that last night that I need to get a uniform that I just wear every single day and I don't have to waste brain power. Hey, that would be cool. (laughs) I'm I'm all for it. I think I need that. Awesome. All right. Well, second question is around others' life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you can share that will make an impact in others' lives right now? Yeah. I really think that people need time to self-reflect. There needs to be a morning routine or evening routine or, or half. Pick a time, right? I mean, for me, it's morning. doesn't mean that's the only routine. But what's important is to take time away and reflect on how your life, how your day. And I actually follow essentially the Tony Robbins method, right? Which is you breathe deeply and you figure out what you have, what do you feel gratitude for? And then that puts you in a physical and mental state that you're at a high peak. And then you move into essentially a concept of let's figure out what my life goals are. What are the three or two or five things that I'm going to do? I'm going to put my full force in. Once you do that, it's going to put you in a mindset where it's money or it's life or it's your relationship. You're going to approach everything with intentionality. And you can design it the way it works for you rather than being a victim of life. Most of us are reacting to the life and not responding. Mm -hmm. That pause and that routine, again, whatever works for you, morning, afternoon, evening, or night, pick a time and have a routine that can actually set you free from being a victim to the life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. We just did a podcast episode with me too, and that was my answer, as just like yours. There you go. Yeah. Hey, I think there's a lot of similarities, Judy. We want same uniform. There you go. <laughs> Look at us. Look at us. Yeah. The Tony Robbins thing that you're referring to is priming. That's what priming. The, yeah. All, yeah. There's uh, actually a YouTube video, if you don't mind including in the show notes. There's a priming video. People would hugely. Yeah. I don't have any affiliation with Tony Robbins. I want to be clear about that. I don't get commission. I don't get paid. I just get so much effectiveness in that 10 minute, 15 minute YouTube video that if that can change somebody else's life, I would rather share that video. Yep. Yeah. We'll definitely include it. I use that. I have it bookmarked on my YouTube page. It's literally Tony walking you through. I used to put my headphones in in the morning, do the priming exercise. It literally feels like you're in a room coaching one-on-one with and he's priming you. So it's a game changer. So we'll definitely include that. All right. Last question is around life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? Yes. I think it's going to be a little longer answer. I'll try to make it very short. So what we're trying to do is, you know, back in 2008, when we did, we learned a lot of lessons. One of the lessons we learned is there are a lot of kids, mostly kids, because we have a special 
towards that age group of kids where a lot of kids don't get to make a decision that Julie, Angie, and I, people like us are making, which is let's build wealth. They don't even have their one meal. So we got exposed to that aspect of life much closer than we had before, even though I grew up in India, because as part of the foundation, we were running some charitable programs. We would go to the villages and kind of see that life. So that is what has stuck with us. So when during COVID, I lost a lot of family members. When we're like, you know what, there's more to life. There's more to life than just making money. Everyone can make money. So what we have dedicated is our life and our business essentially is now around a mission of sponsoring education, K through 12 education for underprivileged, uh, be in India, be it US, be it wherever. India is a place where we're very familiar with. I'm from India. So that's a place I know how, to, and the dollar goes a lot further. So I know the impact could be multiplied there, amplified, rather than doing it in the US. Not that US is not a place where they need help. So we have made our mission that by 2030, we're going to impact 100,000 young lives by sponsoring their K through 12 across the globe. That's our goal. That's our mission. That's what we live with. And to accomplish that, what we're doing is as profits that we make through Impact Wealth Builders, we partner with our investors to essentially figure out a way where we could do that. Like we're working on an interesting business model right now where we could pass on the tax advantages or the donations to our investors. We haven't sorted it out fully. We're basically becoming partners with anyone who wants to do good, but not make it a donation rather than make it sustainable through business. That's our life. That's our mission. Our hope is we're going to be exceeding it. But you know what? Even if I meet 10% of that goal, I'm happy because it's way further than I would have ever imagined to go. Indeed. And it's so much in line with what Julie and I are passionate about as well. Is it's exactly as you're talking about. It's life is more than about just money. It's about making that impact. It's about that progress that you were talking about, the growth, the contribution, right. and how you can leave a legacy long after you're gone. And the work that you've done and what you've worked to build continues on even long after you. Completely so. agree. Completely agree. But you yes. know what? Unfortunately, people are stuck in. I'm also realizing that until the financial needs are met, most people are never going to get there. Yeah. Because your family, your needs come yes. first, which it should. Yes. So that's mm -hmm. why I think your business model and our business model is saying that you don't have to touch your profits, right? You're getting the same returns. Grow your money the way you want it to. If you want right. to partner with us, great. But we're going to take on it ourselves because we know our financial situation better than anyone else's. We're pledging our profits towards a cause. If you're going to join, the more the merrier. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of which, Socket, tell everybody if they did want to follow up with you, learn more about all that you're doing, perhaps invest alongside you and do good in the world as you're talking about. Tell them what's the best place that they can go. Yeah, the best place is my website, impactwealthbuilders.com. I've also recently launched a podcast, Migrate to Wealth. So you can find me there as well. And third, but not least is I'm actually giving away my cell phone because I'm realizing there are too many friction points. So if somebody needs it, they can contact me at 703-380-2020. I have no virtual assistant on my team. I check all my DMs. I check all my text messages and I read all my emails. So you will always be talking to me. And it doesn't have to be investment. It can be anything. I'm always passionate about helping people in wherever they are. And if you have an investment question, of course, I'll be more than happy to answer that. Socket Jane, founder and CEO of Impact Wealth Builders. Socket the Rocket, thank you so much for being here right. with us and our listeners today. 
Well, thank you, Angie and Julie. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 